We've all been there, in the middle of a job, everything going smoothly, until boom, you're missing a part. United Refrigeration is your one-stop shop for all your refrigeration needs. Use your computer or smartphone to go to www.uri.com at any time of day or night to check stock on your favorite brands, such as Copeland, Sporlin, Carlisle Compressors, Danfoss, Emerson CPC Boards and Sensors, Carell, Hussman Parts, and Ketotherm. United Refrigeration Inc. is home to these brands and many more. Looking for information on refrigerant conversions or refrigerant banking? Quick access links on the homepage can get you to the information you need. All approved accounts are able to see live to the minute inventory and pricing. Product not in stock at your local branch? No problem. Use the nearby stock feature to find a local branch that does have what you need. Are you looking for a branch address, phone number, or after hours number? That's all available as well. Just click on the branch locator and search for your local branch. Have a model number and looking for a replacement part? www.uri.com forward slash ARP has a vast list of quick pick replacement parts. Just search for the model number of the equipment you're working on and click the replacement parts tab. If you don't have an account, click the register button and we'll have you online in no time. With more than 400 locations in North America, each United Refrigeration branch is fully stocked for immediate pickup. Our branch employees have in-depth technical knowledge so we can help you get what you need when you need it. Visit your local store or www.uri.com forward slash ARP today. United Refrigeration Inc. has all your solutions down cold. The Sporland Division of Parker Hannifin Corporation is sponsoring this podcast. Sporland is the leading manufacturer of HVAC and R components. Using quality materials and craftsmanship, Sporland maintains a commitment to innovation, manufacturing excellence, service, and support for its customers since 1934. The company is known for its catch-all filter dryers, thermostatic expansion valves, solenoid valves, pressure regulating valves, suction filters, electric valves, controllers, supermarket monitoring solutions, chemicals, smart service tools, ZoomLock Max Press to Connect, and ZoomLock Push, Push to Connect Refrigerant Fittings. If folks want to learn more, what do they do? Uh, you can go to Sporland.com. I guess that's Jim and John for Sporland signing off. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. You're the host, Brett Wetzel and Kevin Compass. And we have a special, special guest from Gutner, uh, William Aya. Anaya. Uh, Anaya. Damn it. It's okay. Oh, my Everyone goodness. I told you I'm horrible. I'm the world's best phonetic speller. That's my problem. It's okay. Yeah, so tonight, uh, Will's coming on here to talk about uh, Gutner products. Not just, you know, uh, you can get this here, you can get this here. We're going to talk about actual troubleshooting and some programming stuff. And, you know, so you're, you're a lot more confident when you're, when you're working on these things. Well, you want to start and uh, tell everyone, you know, a little bit of background about yourself. Um, you know, how long you've been at Gutner, you know, what do you do specifically for Gutner and just give us the quick and skinny, man. Sure. Sure. No problem. Uh, my name is William and I have been with Gutner for 
little over three years now. Yeah, it's gone by fast. Um, I am the electrical and controls engineer here. Um, beef, you know, all controls, all electrical stuff. I'm your guy here at Gutner. Um, before Gutner, I worked at Johnson Controls, and I was in uh, in controls there. So, yeah, just that's that's what I do. I'm all controls and electrical. Um, so, if you guys ever need us any assistance with any of our Gutner products, let me know. I can definitely help you guys out. If I don't know the answer, I can definitely find someone who does. So, sorry. Yeah, I know. I just saw that. <laughs> So, um, like I said, tonight we're going to talk about uh, Gutner. I guess we're going to keep it, uh, keep it, and start uh, talk about the abatic uh, gas coolers, right? Um, unless you want to talk a little bit about the, uh, I don't know if you have any information about the, the dry coolers on there, because I know on some of the uh, the the cooler climates, like uh, up in uh, up in Kevin's area, sometimes they do have the dry coolers, and you know I am aware that you guys also uh, make dry coolers because you. Excuse me, you sent me all your uh, your control data information on that, but yeah, yeah. Let, let's get into it. We have uh, we have dry coolers. We have the adiabatic units. Uh, we have um, I, I think the adiabatic units is what you guys are most familiar with. Um, what you guys have used the most, um, and um, those the way those operate is um, you have a process fluid. And you're just trying to maintain that process fluid set point, uh, whether it's uh, glycol or water or CO2, whatever it is. Um, and uh, there's 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 uh, the fans that ramp up and ramp down to maintain the set point. And then when they can no longer uh, meet the set point, we have the adiabatic side, which is water that goes across the pads uh, to help maintain that set point. Um, and, uh, what we do is we have, we have our own controls company. So we actually manufacture our own controls and, uh, we have our own control logic. Um, and I can actually go into a little bit about that and how our controls actually work. If you like. Yeah, um, for, for sure. Do you want me to, do you want me to share this up? Yeah, sure. That sounds good. There we go. So, um, <clears throat> just, uh, oh, here, let me go over here. All right. So, um, basically what our GMM does, it's, um, it maintains the set point of the fans. So we control the fan speed, uh, using our, our Gutner controller. Um, there's a lot of different features that we have already built into the controller. Um, you, and you can, um, have our units standalone mode. You can have them in uh, server mode. You can have them maintain their own thing. So let me actually, I think, let me go to this next slide here. Okay. So this one kind of shows it a little bit better. So we have a standalone analog and field bus. So the unit can be in standalone mode where uh, you install a, a temperature sensor or a pressure sensor on the outlet header. You put a set point directly on the controller and it maintains that set point. Okay. Um, you can also, what's very common, is have our unit in server mode, which is basically where you give us some other, when I say you, I mean some other system, gives Gutner a set point via zero to 10 or four to 20, uh, a fan speed. 
Mm. So, um, and I think this is, uh, Kevin was discussing this before. Um, and from the factory, our units usually come in standalone mode. So when they get to the field, a lot of the guys like Kevin are going through our controller and are struggling to set it up because they're not the experts in our controller and we understand it. So it's, it could, they could fumble through it and it's not working and it could get very frustrating. Um, so we've actually, I actually listened to your last podcast and, um, I brought this up internally and we started a project to actually make sure that our controllers, um, leave the factory set up per customer requirements so that the guys in the field are struggling a little bit less. I've been in the field. I know how it is. I, I, I get it. You know, I wouldn't want to struggle either. Um, especially when it's a controller that I don't know. Um, but getting back to the control, uh, to the control strategy. So you can send our controller a set point via zero to 10, 10 to zero, two to 10, four to 20 mod bus back net, however you want to do it. And it'll, uh, it'll ramp the fans up and down. <clears throat> you can also integrate, uh, to the unit via, uh, a BMS system. So if you wanted to send the, send the fan speed via Modbus or Bagnet, that's also possible. Um, we have, um, and, and also in manual mode too, but let me go here. There's also a lot of different set, uh, settings on here. Um, so on the controller, you can do um, a secondary set point. So this is usually used on a, uh, on a unit that's um, standalone. So a lot of sites do have standalone. They don't have a BMS system. Um, a lot of grocery stores have it standalone, but they might need two set points, one for winter and one for summer. Um, so if they have it, if, if you have it set up properly with the proper sensors, you can put two set points in the controller and based on the ambient temperature, our controller will know when to switch and um, have one set point when it's over 60 degrees Fahrenheit and another set point when it's under 60 degrees. Um, and so, that's all done by itself. So well, well, can it, can it do TD control? Like, can it do floating head pressure TD yep. control in standalone mode? Yep. That's, that's right here. So we have that also. So if you have it, you can do that. You can do that in, um, in standalone mode. Um, as long as you have the ambient temperature installed, um, it can do that because our controller needs to know, what the ambient temperature is so you can offset the temperature by seven degrees fahrenheit and you can set a minimum and a maximum so um let's just say i want my i want to offset my set point by just to keep the number simple five degrees fahrenheit and i want my minimum set point to be 60 and my maximum set point to be 85. so when it's uh 60 degrees out, it's going to offset by five. So you'll be floating five degrees above that all the time up until you get to the maximum. And that's the most it'll go to. So does that, does that also mean then um, you guys have the capability because you just said it can do TV control. Are you doing TV control just based off the ambient or are you guys actually breaking it down and getting the, uh, the wet bulb temperature? Um, well, the, it, the, the sensor is placed behind the pad on the adiabatic side. So um, it's, it's, it's looking at the temperature after it's already been cooled. Um, so does that answer your question? It's not looking at the actual humidity to offset, but it mm -hmm. is placed after the, the, uh, the pads. 
Oh, okay. All right. No, I got you. I got you. So, and then something that's, go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought you said no. something. No, uh, go ahead. So we also have the ability to, to control a bypass valve natively in the controller. So if you wanted to wire a bypass valve into the, uh, into the GMM, it, it has that capability. So that, that's right out of the box. When you speak of a bypass valve, what what kind of valve are you speaking of? Three way, like a three-way bypass valve of, um, so if you wanted a bypass, so like in uh, certain situations, you might want to bypass our unit depending on uh, ambient temperature. The only time I've ever seen that is if you're dealing with like a cascade and you're basically just using, using you know, part of the uh, abatic as, uh, as like a gas, um, Basically, just a D superheater. That's the only time I've ever seen that separate. Yeah, I'll be honest. I haven't seen you seen it used too much, but there are actually there are a lot of our customers. I take that back because there are a lot of our customers that do use it. Um, okay. But um, it's it's probably, there. Probably a lot of dry cooler stuff. It could be used on a dry cooler as long as the uh, the the temperature pressure sensor is installed. Yeah. Okay. So it's just it's just to bypass the unit if if need be. So. And then uh, here's, here's, I'm sorry. That program resides in your controller then, right? Correct. Yeah, it's already okay. native in there. So it just needs to be wired up and the features need to be turned on in the controller with the settings. Okay. So um, another feature that we have, these are standard features on our controller, is uh, the bypass mode, uh, maintenance run, and ice break mode. Um, so the bypass mode is, so what we do, is we run individual Modbus lines from each fan directly to the controller. Okay, and uh, what that does, that allows us to, um, if one of the fans, if one of the, um, if one of the one of the fans fail, I'm sorry, one of the uh, lines of communication gets severed to the fan, then um, the fan will go into bypass and spin at 100%. Um, it'll also, also let us know which fan is doing that. Um, if a major, um, if a critical sensor or the controller fails, all fans will ramp up to 100%. Um, so this right here is the number one service call I get. I'll get a guy in the field calling me say, hey, listen, uh, the fan is working, but it's, it's not responding. It's only sp spinning at 100%. Um, to which I'll say, you know what? check the wiring. Is there, is there something wrong with the wiring? Is there a loose wire? And sometimes, you know, a loose wire will uh, bring it back and it'll, um, it'll start um, spinning again. Um, the other thing that's nice about this is what some of our competitors do is instead of running individual Modbus lines, they'll run one Modbus line and daisy chain it from fan to fan. Um, and the reason they do that is because it's cheaper. It's cheaper to run one line and daisy chain it, and then you got to program the controller and address each fan individually. With us, you don't have to do that. It's a little bit more work on the manufacturing side, but on the user end, it's easier because if a fan fails, you just swap it out, and it it, it comes alive. No uh, no addressing necessary. Um, we also have a maintenance run feature, which. What some sites do is, especially in the winter, and up here in Chicago, it gets cold. This January, it's not that cold, but it normally gets really cold. And um, they will shut down a unit, you know, 
come January and not start it up until, you know, March. Um, and our fans are designed to run. Because um, what could happen is if, if, you, if you shut a unit down and you don't let it run, um, the bearings on the fans can flatten. Um, condensation can form inside the electrical terminal box and can cause damage to the fans. So what we do is uh, we turn this feature on and that tells the control, the controller tells the fans to spin for 60 seconds during a 24 hour period, you know, and that's programmable. You can make it run a little bit longer. Um, but basically what that does, it prevents the bearings from flattening, allows the bearing grease to, to get in there and lubricate the fan. Um, and if there is any moisture that penetrates the electrical terminal box, it can um, evaporate that away. Um, and then another, another standard feature that we have is our ice break feature. Um, what the ice break feature is, is if, and I actually ha had a customer call me up in, um, I think Quebec, they had a really nasty winter last year. And he was telling me that, uh, that, that the fans were oscillating back and forth and then they broke free and he didn't know what it was. And it was because the ice was on there. Ice had formed on the fan. And the fan, um, you know, started spinning back and forth and then breaks free and, um, you know, starts spinning. If for whatever reason it can't break free, you'll get an operational message right on the controller telling you that it's that it's not working. No way. Yeah. So, so the, the, another question I had. So, like, you know, some of these fans I'm, I'm looking at the you know, layout, right? And I know this isn't isn't exactly how all the fans go, but like, you know, Kevin, because he deals with a lot of lower ambient, you know, being up in Chicago and Indiana and all those other cold ass places he's at, um, you know, a lot of times you'll start logging a little bit of gas in there, especially, you know, if a, a whole split function wasn't set up to be done. Um, is there any way in your controller to either uh, disable half of the fans or other ROs on that controller that control each individual so fan? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. So what, what a lot of customers are doing is, uh, for instance, let's say that it's a six-fan unit, right, with two coils, one on each side, um, and they want to they wanna split the unit. On our controller, you can do it. Um, so uh, what I would suggest in that case is to send two 0 to 10-volt signals, one for each side. Um, and you can put it on the controller um, where, you know what, zero to 10 for the left side of the, for the left side coil, zero to 10 for the right side coil. When on the right side, when you don't need any, when you don't need any cooling on that, you just give it a 0% fan speed and it just doesn't run the right side and the left side is running however you need it to. Um, or do you have a write up on that? Because like uh, on how to like exa exactly do that setup, like for the AI and the actual splitting up of the condensers. Cause right there, like that, that, that that's killer right there because that that just about in every single job that's been a problem I, I I've seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I can do is I can send you a configuration and you can upload it to the controller. That's but, so the, the the one thing I had the question about the configuration when you when you do that so say say I go to a Target and it's got you know four double fans and I go to a Costco and I have twelve double fans um, and I load it in there. Now, is it is it going to mess up the the Modbus setup for the fans or something? No. So what it does? That's a great question. So what it does is it looks. So you, let's say you have a unit set up perfectly. You go. Let's say you go to Target 
and uh, there's three units there. You set them. You set up the first one perfectly, right? And let's just say it's a 12 fan unit, six and six. You set that up perfectly. Um, you can you can uh, pull that configuration from that controller, load it on to the next unit, and let's say the the next unit is an eight fan unit. It's four and four, four on each side. Um, when you load it up, the controller is going to ask you, it's going to say, okay, how many fans are on this unit? You're going to say eight fans um, and two rows. And it's going to, and that's all you really need to do. You need to put that in there and then some fan identifier information that's located on the electrical diagrams. And it'll operate the exact same way as the 12 fan unit, but in, in, in eight fans. And you can take that same configuration and take it to a Costco site and load it on a six fan unit there. So um, the only thing with that right now is uh, software revisions. So um, one thing I didn't talk about is one of the ways that we're able to do this is because our controller isn't a microprocessor. It's a, it's, it's, it's a full Linux computer. And uh, because it's a Linux computer, it makes updating easier. One of the drawbacks to updating and new software versions is if you have a configuration that that you've been working with and now you go and it's it's been set up on a 1.9 software version just you know for um just to put that out there and you go to the new site and it's a 1.10 then what winds up happening is it's not going to read that software version but um, one of the things i've requested because we're we manufacture our own controls we have a lot of control over everything and um, one of the requests I made with our team in Germany was to make sure that the software revisions were backwards compatible because I know how the guys in the field work. They want, if they got one working, they want to pull that configuration and keep loading it. So one of the things that we're working on right now is to make the software backwards compatible. So if you do have an earlier revision of the software that then, um, and you pull that configuration, it'll work on a later revision. So I've gotten, um, I've gotten uh, the promise that they're gonna that they're working on that right now. So, as of as of recording this right now, it's still not available. So if you if you have a a unit that you come across that's like a later software than the one you uh, you pulled the configuration from, it won't work. But we're working on on changing that, and that's one of the things honestly that I really like about here at Gutner is that because you know we're we do manufacture our own controls, we have a lot of control over it and we get a lot of input from guys in the field. Um, you know, like for instance, when you told, when I, I heard you guys in the last podcast say that, you know, it was uh, that they don't come set up from the factory. And I agree with you. It was, it was tough, but because of that, we're able to make those changes. So um, another thing is LCMM. So this is a feature. These are, these are more of our advanced features. And um <clears throat> On here, you have to turn this feature on in the controller, but it's 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 a nice feature, especially for northern climates, um, because all of our fans ramp up and ramp down synchronously. So if you if you're operating a target with a ten to zero fan speed, and you give it, you know, thirty percent fan speed, all the fans are going to ramp up at thirty percent. But if it's a day where it's super cold out, you can potentially overshoot your set point. If you turn this feature on uh, LCMM, what that does 
is, in, let's say you give it 10%, it's going to use one fan instead of all six, and then it's going to ramp just that one fan up until your load increases, then it'll kick on a second fan, and as your load increases, it'll start using more and more fans. Um, another thing that we do is we look at the fans, motor runtime, and when LCMM is turned on, we request the fan with the lowest runtime first, and then we 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 go to the next run lowest runtime, and so on and so forth to extend the life of the uh, of the motors. So um, that's that's a nice feature, especially for for northern climates. You guys, um, are you guys doing that also on the on the? Uh, do you guys make micro channel? Um, I believe, yeah, we, I think micro channel is, is, is part of us. I'm not too familiar with that side of the business, to be honest with you. Um, I'm just, I'm, I was just curious cause I know, you know, um, uh, anytime you have uh, a lot of expansion and contraction on those, uh, on those, um, uh, micro channel, they don't like it. Mm -hmm. the, the, the coils end up leaking. I know Kevin's had a bunch uh, on those A-frame style coils, condenser coils that they have out there. Um, We've had a uh, lot of leaks on gas coolers in general just for, from, and I, I think it's due to the fan control, but like what you just showed up here is like a big, big proponent of like stopping that, you know, especially with your guys' stuff is, you know, that having that set up because uh, like the way that they're all controlling them off drop lake temp for CO2 is just uh, – it's it's been nonstop problems, and until like we convince them all to not use drop leg temp any longer, and use pressure, it's I mean that that at least dropping down to one fan in the wintertime would you know save a lot of that expansion and contraction. I would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this is a standard feature on our end. Um, so I mean, it's an advanced feature, but it's on every GMM um, with EC fans, and you can. It's just a matter of turning it on and and getting it uh running so that's something that's that's nice um i, I had i'm sorry no go ahead no i had another question so are you guys uh doing the standard uh zero uh zero volts is 100 percent and vice versa or are you going like for like zero zero percent ten is 100 percent however you want to do it um our controller can do uh zero to ten or ten to zero uh where zero is off or zero can be a hundred percent. You know, it just really depends on how you want it want it to to run. Our previous controller, uh, the GMM EC, that was that's our legacy controller. Uh, that one you needed a inverter if you wanted ten to zero. An arm, uh, with, like, with like, an arm like an arm board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With our with our newest controller, you know, it's it's built in, it's baked in. So, so there's it's just a setting on the controller. That's another call I get sometimes where. Um, it's been set up, but the, but there it's not, it's the signal's not inverted. Um, that's an easy fix. It just, it's just, uh, going into the, into the settings and, and inverting the signal. So if you guys aren't familiar with what we're talking about, uh, you know, I know we've talked on, about this subject on many a podcast, but, you know, typically nowadays we like doing zero volts as a hundred percent. And the reason why is because if God forbid you would lose your, your analog output coming from your controller. You know, at least if the thing shuts down, excuse me, in the fail safe, at least all your fans are on. Um, you know, back when they first started doing a lot of analog output control, they did not have it set up as that. So 
you know, God forbid if you uh, you lost your analog output, you were looking for some kind of Hail Mary to get those fans running, you know, just to get them just just to get the rack back up and running. So what we're talking about is, you know, making sure it is inverted. So if God forbid we do lose the analog output, you know, we still have some fans rotating. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you can do that. You can also custom uh, do a custom uh, signal if you want. I mean, if you want to do 2 to 10 or 5 to 10 or 4 to 20 milliamps or 0 to 20 milliamps, it's our, our newest controller. Like I said, because it's a it's a full blown Linux computer, it's uh, it's very versatile. So <clears throat> that's something that's nice. Um, another advanced uh, feature is our natural convection control. Um, and uh, what this does is especially i think this is this is more used for co2 applications or the potential for it i should say uh, because i'm not a refrigeration guy i'm an electrical and controls guy but i what i've picked up a little bit is that on the co2 side if you lose heat it could be bad for the system and um what we've done is in our controls we can tell if if the uh if, if the fans are spinning are are spinning due to natural convection because in the winter when it's really cold if you're if there's heat in the uh, heat exchanger that heat goes up and can you know force the fans to spin well what we'll do is if our controller senses that it'll actually spin the fans backwards at a very low speed trying to lock that heat inside the inside the uh, the unit so you're not losing uh, heat due to natural convection. That so is how, go ahead, Kevin. I'm sorry. Um, so how does it know that it's 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 losing that natural convection? Because uh, we know because um, we can tell the uh, we can tell that the fans are spinning in the direction they're not supposed to, and uh, we can uh, we can we can sense that. So we're going to tell the fans, listen, you're you're spinning in the wrong way. You're not supposed to be spin backwards to lock it in. That, that was going to be my question where basically I was thinking that it was almost like an economizer, right? Where like you, you're sending out what voltage to control it. And, you know, typically on like an economizer VFDs, you have a feedback loop that basically tells you, you know, what rotation, you know, how fast you're actually spinning. So if you're not calling for anything and yet the thing is running at whatever, because of the, the, the fans coming on, you know, it knows to basically, you know, revert that and slow it down so it's not not moving in the opposite direction actually moving air across the coil correct mm -hmm. which makes for better control obviously yeah so another thing that we do is um we have our inverse operation on the on the units where <clears throat> you could uh this there was a uh there was a guy that called me about a year ago telling me that the um that our that our adiabatic unit wasn't maintaining the set point the fans were spinning at 100 percent and water was going i spent an hour on the phone with this guy trying to figure out what was going on mm -hmm. um because everything on the control side seemed to be working and i'm like I, I don't get it i don't get it i'm like you know what can you send me some pictures of the unit i want to see this so he sends me some pictures of the unit and apparently the unit was on i'm sorry hold on Apparently the unit was on, on, on the Las Vegas strip and um, there was all this nasty debris on like plastic bags and all kinds of things covering the adiabatic pads. 
So there was no airflow across the pads. So the fans were running at 100%, but it wasn't cooling. <laughs> and, that, and that's why uh, that's why it wasn't cooling. So what I had them do is obviously clean the pads off. Um, but then um, we turned this feature on, inverse operation. And what this does is uh, <clears throat> we set it up so that if the control value was less than 40%, that the fans at any you know at any given period during a 24-hour period, the fans would spin in reverse at 100%, 100% speed. And what that would do is it blows out all large debris from the coils, from the pads, things like that, while still maintaining your set point. Because our fans at 100% in reverse are still just as efficient as if they were 40% in the right direction. Um, so one thing I'll say about this is it's not, it's not the end all be all. Meaning, if if you get cottonwood, it's it's not gonna gonna do do the best job with cottonwood. Um, but it definitely will help, especially in if you're, you know, if you're starting up a unit and you see that there's a, you know, that it backs up to a forest, and uh, you're gonna get leaves on that thing. Definitely turn this feature on. So I have another question. So I know, you know, one of your competitors has, uh, and it looks almost like a trampoline material. It's like a black material um, where, you know, instead of all the stuff, you know, the cottonwood and stuff sticking right to the panels where it would be worse, you know, there's basically like a, like a little filter in between there to take the brunt. So you're not getting the cottonwood and making the cottonwood, you know, wet. And then it just basically goes like concrete on that, on that, on those panels. So do you have some sort of uh, filter yep. material that you can install? Yeah, our, our, we, we offer with the, our units could be ordered with that, with that on there. Okay. So, yeah, that's something we offer as well. So <clears throat> another thing is our uh, night setback feature um, where you can limit the fan speed at certain times of the day. Um, this is um this is done a lot like in residential areas. Um, if you know, you're, you're backed up to residential areas so that you can limit the sound. So, you know, between certain cities have certain ordinances for, for sound levels. So that's a feature you can set up with our unit. Um, and then here, I think I, I kind of discussed this stuff, but here you can see, um, our, um, <clears throat> natural convection control, how it'll spin the fans backwards right here. Um, we have the uh, bypass valve control. This is just a slide that goes over that and shows it a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> and then we have our LCMM, which it'll use one, two, or three fans as needed and increment as we need it and uh, go up to 100% as you need it. And then this is the adiabatic operation. I haven't really got into that, but I will. Um, <clears throat> so um, with our adiabatic side, um, and that's one thing I do want to talk about too is the the adiabatic control, but um, I'll, I'll get into that right now. Um, let's let's go over here. So this one here, this this slide shows how we have individual bus lines from each fan directly to the controller. So there there's no configuration required. So if you need to replace a fan, all you have to do is drop it in, you know, and and rewire it. And it comes alive. Um, I, I know a lot of uh, 
a lot of technicians appreciate that uh, instead of having to program certain fans. So, but that's a, a blowout of our actual GMM controller. Um, you can see we have a rotary push push dial, so it spins and pushes. Um, the user interface on our new GMM is is a lot nicer compared to our previous uh, generation. Um, this is the um, USB port where you can uh, upload and download configurations and upload the software. Uh, we have built-in Modbus, TCP, and RTU in the controller. Um, <clears throat> just, just everything. But hey, well, can you can you hook a laptop way. to that and like quickly program it? Like, is there like a quick start program? Like, it's so you're not having to go through the interface if you did have to do it, or is it just the USB? Um, well, we have we have quick start guides. Um, what I found, I actually put some quick start guides together. Um, and uh, what I found is everyone always goes back to the USB to upload it. <laughs> so the USB is easier, but we do have some quick start guides. No, I mean, like, can you plug a computer into it and, like, program oh, it? Oh. No, I'm sorry. Hold on. Um, no, 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 you can't. Not right now. We... There's talks about potentially um, doing a web interface in the unit, in the controller, um, but that's uh, that's that's for future development. It, it's not in there right now. Um, yeah, you would have to you would have to either go through the uh, user interface or upload via USB. Yeah, the quick start guides. If if you could like post a link to me or Brett for those, like, because I, I mean I, I have trouble finding those, and that that would be like killer to have a quick start guide for just how to set it up for analog, an analog input or a quick start guide to set up that LLM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I can, I can, uh, I can get you guys that. That's not a problem. Awesome. Um, have have we have you ever had to have any of the technicians out there go through? and potentially uh connect to the what what type of actual fan motors are there are they are the impasse ones yeah ebm oh the okay yeah. so have you ever had to have a technician you know uh connect right to it and like change some of the programming internal because it was programmed for the wrong rpm or whatever have you so so when you when on on our um on our high side uh units mm -hmm. um our GMM, once it's connected directly to the fan, programs the fan automatically. So a technician should never have to uh, connect to it. On the low side, on the evaporators and stuff, um, that's a different story. Um, that maybe, that, that has happened. It's rare, but it has happened. But when you're talking about the um, our, our high side, our, 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 our dry coolers, condensers, the, the GMM will program the uh, fan directly. So there's there's no need for programming the fans. Um, that's why when you, that's exactly why when you um, load one configuration from one controller to a next unit, that's why you have to tell it the fan ID and the fan RPM. So that's one of the things that asks you for when you're loading it from, let's say we go back to that example from a 12 unit to an eight fan unit. Um, it's gonna ask you for the, for the fan count, the fan row, the fan ID and the fan RPM. Um, and you put that in the controller and the controller programs the fans. So um, now getting into the adiabatic side. Um, 
this is uh so right here we have our, our our ghm controller so on the left we have our gmm and on the right we have our ghm now when i say gmm that stands for gutner motor management uh ghm stands for gutner hydro management and the way that these work together is the gmm will control the fans uh, and ramp up the fans up and down um the ghm looks at the ambient temperature, the ambient humidity, and the GMM tells it what the fan speed is, and it'll determine how much water to put across the pads, okay? Um, <clears throat> the water lines, so inside of this block here, we have a water meter, a control valve, a drain, and a drain solenoid. All these tie back to the, to the um, <clears throat> GHM controller. Uh, to determine how much water to put across the pads. Um, so we have a few different modes of operation uh, on this thing. We have a, a water savings mode, a energy savings mode, and an efficiency mode. Water savings is used primarily um, where, where water scarce, where water is expensive. A lot of the Southwest will definitely use water savings. Um, around the Midwest, where water's cheap, around I'm sorry, around the Great Lakes, I should say, where water's cheaper, they'll prioritize um, <clears throat> the fans and use uh, more water, and then you can do efficiency mode. So <clears throat> basically the way this works, in, in this example here, um, what it's doing is it's waiting for fans to ramp up to 100% and the ambient temperature to be 80 degrees Fahrenheit before the water's used. And that's, that's normally water savings. So from our factory, all of our units come in water savings. And those settings are 90% um, fan speed, 71 um, ambient temperature for water to kick on. So let me, let me say that again in a different way. So the way it'll work is um, <clears throat> the, the GHM controller is going to be looking at the fan speed. and um, if you, if you don't touch it from the factory, it's going to wait for the fans to get to 90% fan speed and the ambient temperature to get to 71 degrees Fahrenheit. And then it's going to kick the water on. And it's going to continue to use the water until either the fans drop below 80% or the ambient temperature drops below 71. That's water savings. Energy savings, we're prioritizing... Um, we're prioritizing the, um, the fans and we're, and, uh, we are using more water. So it's going to use, it's going to wait till the fans get to 30% in this example and the ambient to be 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So as soon as it's 60 degrees and the fans are at 30, then you're going to use more water. So what's happening is, um, you're not going to use as much energy. And then the third mode is efficiency mode. Um, this is, is really nice. Not a lot of people use this because you need to know, you need to have a little bit of a information for this. But if you know the cost of water and the cost of energy, and you can put that inside the GHM, our controller will uh, determine which is better to use and, and operate in that method. So it's actually smart enough to figure out which way is the best way to save energy at that point. Now it's 
when it's talking about saving energy, it's just talking about the energy consumption on the gas cooler at that point, correct? Yeah, the energy consumption of the fans. Okay. Yeah, exactly. In here, um, you can actually see, um, this is a picture of um, the water meter, uh, the actuator, and the drain valve. Now, uh, <clears throat> hey guys, today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries Serviceable Oil Floats. Many oil separators contain an oil float to effectively meter separated oil back to the compressors. Westermeyer Industries has taken this concept and perfected it. With their new line of serviceable oil floats, these floats feature an improved design with fewer components, allowing for greater manufacturer consistency and up to 20% increased oil flow versus their legacy models. These floats also feature an integrated magnet to shield the oil path from debris and have been field proven in supermarket applications. Westmeyer Industries offer replacement oil floats not only for their own separators, but also cross-compatible models for our competitor oil separators as well. You can find out more about the Westermeyer Industries serviceable oil floats by visiting westermeyerind.com backslash floats. Once again, that's westermeyerind.com slash float. Let's get on with the episode. There was a, so during, um, cause of COVID and all of these, uh, supply chain shortages, uh, there was a, uh, we, we were, we were stuck in a bad situation over the past year and a half. I think Kevin, you brought this up, how we have two, um, two actuators inside of there and they were never programmed properly from the factory. And um, I saw it and I apologize for that. Um, but I just want to give you guys the backstory for that. Um, so during the, the shortage, normally we don't use two Belimo actuators, one for the feed and one for the drain. Normally we have a, a drain solenoid right here. And, and now, we, now we got them back. So we're putting, we're installing them. But during the shortage, since we couldn't get the drain solenoid, what we decided to do it was either hold up the unit and not ship it out or figure something out. Well, we had, we had Belimo valves, so we repurposed them as a drain valve. And, and because of that, we had a little bit of a growing pain and, and there was some times where they weren't set up properly. Um, and, and like I said earlier, when I see these things, when I hear these things, I do go back to the factory and, and we work on it to fix it. Um, so, there was a problem where um, they weren't being shipped properly, where the drain was reverse acting instead of direct acting. And it was causing a whole lot of problems um, where it was draining when it shouldn't. Um, but uh, I think we've worked through that now. Hopefully uh, you guys don't see that as much. But another thing, another misconception about our units is that, you know, they're pump and dump and they use a whole lot of water. Um, well, what we do is because we have a it's 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 a, a a control valve feeding the adiabatic side of it. We me, we meter the water that goes across the pads, and um, so it's not just on off, and it will um, it takes into account the ambient temperature and humidity, and on days where it's more humid out, 
it's going to use less water than on days that it's <clears throat> on days that it's less humid because uh, adiabatic cooling is not effective. The adiabatic cooling is not as effective on very humid days. So there's no point in using water. But on dry days, it's very effective. So we take all those things into consideration and we put water across the pads uh, to, to make them as efficient as possible. Another thing is um, we do record internally um, how much water is being used on the in this unit. So if we ever do come across a problem where, hey, this unit's being bump, dumping a ton of water, well, let's see, let's go in there and let's find out exactly how much water it's used. We can do the calculations and figure that out. A lot of times what I see is it's a visual thing because um, it's, it's a once through system. It's not a system where we recirculate water. Um, because whenever you recirculate water, that's a whole other issue. You got water treatment and pumps and other things that you have to do to recirculate water. Um, you know, and it's also, uh, opens up the door to, to nasty things like Legionella and things like that. So we don't recirculate water on these units and, um, but we do meter it and make sure that you're not using an excessive amount of water. So how do you guys keep the scale from the entering water from, you know, gumming up the pads and the actual coils? Cause I mean, you're, you're from Chicago, obviously. So, I mean, we have like shit hard water up here pretty much. I mean, pretty much everything around the city is, is it's, it's, it's hard water, especially when you get out in the suburbs. I mean, you look at some of these condensers, like normal condensers that guys run sprinklers on, and after a year or two, they're, they're ruined with scale. Mm -hmm. how, how how does this not do that also? Because it's, well, in, it's entering non-cleaned non water. Yeah. Um, well, I think the water in Chicago is probably going to be some of the best in the nation, um, but that's a different subject. Um, as, far as, as far as water and water scale, it's, it's, it's normal city water. Um, so it's gonna, you know, it, it's gonna have that. These pads are not designed. They're not, they're not like a coil. Um, they're not designed to, um, to, to be there for life. They, they are consumable parts. Um, every one of the adiabatic pads. Um, and it really depends on the water quality. Um, I, I've seen customers, some customers have told me what they've done and is that they've, that they've put like water filters before the unit to filter the water that goes to the unit. That's not something that that we do or we recommend. I'm just saying that that's something that um, that I've seen uh, that customer have told me they've done. But depending on water quality, um, I would say you know one and a half to two years it would have to be replaced. I've seen places that have really good water quality. Um, and they haven't had to replace them. They, uh, what some customers will do is, uh, they buy two sets of pads. Um, they take one set off and then they'll clean it with this, like, you know, just a small, uh, like a soft brush and a garden hose. Don't use a pressure washer on these, but, um, you know, some, some mild soap and, you know, clean it off and then put it back on. Um, I've had customers that, you know, especially if you go to like Arizona where they have really, really hard water, um, you know, some of those guys have had to replace it every six months, you know, so just it really depends on the water quality. Um, the thing is that this isn't going directly onto the coil. 
it's going onto the pads. So that's something that's that's it's not affecting the coil. So so no no water treatment is recommended, you know, but you're not it's not gonna avoid any warranty or anything if I throw some uh, some filters on there, just trying to do better for it, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean that's not because you're just trying to improve the water quality. The only thing I would say is make sure that the water pressure to the unit um is around 30 psi. Um uh, that that's kind of what we're looking for. Um is that how you're figuring out? Because I was about to ask you, because like I mean, everyone's gonna have a little bit different water pressure coming in, and I'm mm -hmm. assuming you're take you're taking that stagnant, you know, 30 psi, 35 psi, whatever you want it set for, and you're using that for part of your calculation to try to figure out how much water consumption that you're using. Well, is that, because, is that correct? Because we have a because we have a water meter and we have a control valve, we know how much water is going past in there. So let's just say you're at a site that has 20 psi. Um, you know, and then so the, the water meter, the, the valve opens up 10% and it's going to know how much water is going through. But it's going to say, you know what, it's not enough. It's going to open up 20, 25, 30, and it's going to open up more to satisfy how much water it needs compared to a site that, say, has 35 PSI, has a little bit more pressure. The water valve just isn't going to have to open up as much. Gotcha. All right. And then the humidity sensor you spoke of, that, that's actually, that's before, it's in between the, the, the panel and the actual well, there's coil, right? The one, if you're doing floating uh, floating set point, mm -hmm. that's when you'll need a humidity. That, it's not a humidity, it's a temperature sensor that goes behind the pads. Now, every adiabatic unit comes with its own temperature and humidity sensor. Um, and that gets wired directly to the uh, GHM controller. So the only time you'll need a, a well, if you have a if you have a temperature sensor behind the pad, that's when you can do the floating set point. It's not going to look at the temperature humidity sensor that's on the actual uh, unit. It's usually installed on the opposite side of the control panel, so it'd probably be right around here. Control panels here. Uh, you have your um, uh, your Belimo valve and water meter and stuff. That would be over here. Gotcha. So. And then another thing that we do is uh, we, we do have um, freeze protection built in. Um, so if the water is stagnant for 24 hours, if so, if it's not in operation for 24 hours or the um, the ambient temperature drops below 42 degrees, we're going to drain the lines in here so that water doesn't crack the, um, the distribution lines or, um, you know, no bacterial starts to grow or anything like that. So, so if you lose the humidity sensor, because we've ran into this, and uh, if we lose the humidity sensor, is it supposed to shut the water down or will it yeah. go full safe? Yeah. So what happens when it's 90 degrees outside and it needs the water? Is there a way to override it? Besides yeah. So the Belimo valve has a um, – on the Belimo valve, there's a polarity switch where you can – you can just swap it. And um, so if you open up the cover and um, uh, I think I actually have a Belimo valve right here. I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's a little uh, polarity switch right in there. You could take a flathead and change it. And what that'll do is instead of um, um, being closed, it'll open the valve. 
yeah, because we ran into that with a couple of them. We had a couple of humidity sensor failures and uh, and or people hitting them with things. Um, and we, we ended up having to do the exact thing. We ended up having to override in the Blemo, but I didn't know if the, there was a way in the controls to actually force them on if there was a humidity sensor failure. No, and the reason the reason we don't do that in the controls because um, I, I'm sure you've seen it. There's a lot of guys that know just enough to be dangerous. And uh, if, if you get a guy out there that's just messing around with it for starting it up and puts it in manual mode and overrides it um, and forgets to turn it off, um, then it, it freezes. It get, The weather gets to below freezing and cracks the, the distribution lines. That's a much more expensive fix. Yeah. So, I mean, all the all the customers now have been making this like every single job has been uh, we've had to put block and bleeds and uh, vacuum brakes in. Mm-hmm. So they're actually uh, they're draining the water themselves downstairs mm-hmm. to keep it off the roof. Yeah. Yeah. No. And a lot of customers, what they'll do is um, uh, they actually tie into our uh, to our drain signal. Um, so that's something that that a lot of customers have done, and a lot of customers will do. Is uh, when we send a signal for our unit to drain, they um, use that signal to. Um, to, to shut the water off to the unit. That makes sense. It'd be a lot easier that way. Just having, having one controller do the, do the bleed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, um, that, that's kind of what I got for our controls. Um, so I, I don't know what questions do you guys have? I was just happy you called it a pump and dump. I started laughing my ass off. I had to turn turn off the mic for a minute. Because that's one of the first things he said to me. He's like, yeah, Kevin's got it a little bit wrong. It's not just a pump and dump, as you guys say. I'm like, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll get no, it No, no, that's okay. You know what? Like I said, I I, I listened to the last podcast, and and um, that's one of the things I can say that I like about working at Gutner is um, if we hear something from the field, we, and it's something we can fix and something that we're doing wrong, we're going to fix it, you know, and, and we're going to do what we can. And uh, setting up the controllers from the factory is, is, is something that we've, we've taken upon ourselves for that reason, you know, because it's, um, it's a practical yeah, I mean, work. Go ahead. That's been the biggest gripe, like with the, with the whole thing is, is the setup. Because you get the OEM saying one thing, it should be set up, and then it's you guys saying another thing, and then it's the OEM doesn't know what they're supposed to be set up to because they don't know what they bought. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's, it's just it's like this chaos in between, and then the customers buying stuff from you guys, and the OEM, the rack OEM's not, so it's just mm-hmm. there's just like zero coordination between anybody, and then it's just a refrigeration contractor's you know problem to make it all work and hash hash together. But that's been the biggest. Thing with but those quick start guides would be like phenomenal because I mean the manual's huge. You guys have like that manual's in you know multiple languages and it, it, it's it's quite big. Yeah. So for for the temperature control, is there any specifics that you want your sensors to be at? Right. I mean, um, some people are finicky where you know they're doing anything controlling uh, drop like temperature. They they you know they want to be there at you know, three or nine o'clock, they want, they want to make sure the sensor is, is wrapped first, or I'm sorry, um, 
secured down on the pipe with you know some sort of metal strap and if you're putting it outside a lot of times though what they'll want you to do is use a reflective uh silver tape so you know the sun's not uh, i'm sorry the sensor's not going to get that that uh that load you know from from the sun just because it's you know it's a black insulation tape that they use on the outside this way it reflects some of the heat is there any kind of uh, specs on where you guys want your sensors like yeah so that's a good question um we uh whenever the unit is ordered with just one temperature sensor um we ship that temperature sensor inside the control panel and the purpose of that is because we want that sensor installed in the common outlet header at least uh one foot after the fluids mix um and we also ship it with a well so uh what happens is it gets to the site nobody the 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 pipe fitters never open the control panel they pipe everything up and then the sensor is not installed so um if you're ever at a at, at our site at what a site with a gutner open up the control panel take that well give it to the pipe fitter to install <laughs> ideally before it's been uh the system's been filled see this um, happens every single job that happens exactly what you said because well here's the problem so i do startup i generally don't come on site until they're ready to do startup and by that time they've already pulled vacuums and you know i'm busy trimming out the ems you guys need to put a big old fat sticker on that header <laughs> i'm serious that well must be brazed in I mean, that, that, yeah. that was a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and then another thing, too, is um, when the unit is ordered with two temperature sensors, um, <clears throat> then we install them on each coil. So um, that's that's another thing, too. So I, I see more and more there? now that a lot of the newer, a lot more, that's happening a lot more often now that two temperature sensors are being ordered because the cost difference between one and two isn't different, but it makes everyone's life a lot easier. So do you guys have the ability to split uh, split control off that, uh, that controller too, the, for the fan controller yeah. for, a split, yeah. for a split valve? Split valve or split? So like, condenser. okay, we can split fans, we can split the condenser, but I mean, do you guys also have the ability to split the condenser in half, like the valves? Like, so you, you would have a valve on the inlet to the coil to be able to shut the refrigerant off and on to, to one side of the coil, or does that still have to be done by some other control system? So what we can do, we do have external valve control. We can uh, look into that a little bit more, see if that would be what you're asking. But one thing I think that would be beneficial, especially if we have two temperature sensors, is you can put um, a split condenser where instead of having... Um, you know, where you're controlling one side of the fans uh, via 10 to zero, you're actually putting two set points in one for each side of the unit. So um, you're trying to maintain, I don't know, 90 degrees on one side and 62 on another, you know, and that our unit is capable of doing that. You're having two separate, two, two coils, two set points, and our fans will ramp up and down independently of each, of each side. To maintain those different set points no it makes sense i like that like i mean that way you could have two different racks on on one condenser mm -hmm. like some customers yep. like to do well you said you also have external valve control i mean you could basically uh jump around the signal right because most of those ebm motors um they have 10 volts right there so you, you know you could either kill the 10 volts 
or give the 10 volts there, you know, and split half of the condenser using your, still using your controller wheel, right? Well, we're not, so when, when the, the EBM motors, we don't send a zero to 10 volt signal to them. We actually communicate via Modbus. So that's, that's another thing. Um, so that's how we can get all these advanced features in there um, because we're, we're able to tell it what to do and we're, we're, we're communicating with the fans. I'll get some guys calling me say, hey, listen, the fan's spinning at 100%, but I can't intercept that zero to 10 volt signal. I don't know what it's doing, you know, because they're trying to read Modbus with the, with the meter. Um, right. Now, the external valve control, uh, you can control um, a bypass valve and a heat recovery valve is what you can control with the unit. Yeah. So, another question, William. Uh, so, I, I we do a lot of years of evaporators too, like a ton of them. So, a lot of these I see where they're using resistors for the speed control. Mm-hmm. Why is that instead of like a programmed fan? Um, <clears throat> it's a good question. Um, It's a way of getting the speed control easily on these fans. Um, and uh, just, you're going to stump me on this one because uh, this <laughs> is a project that, that one of my colleagues actually worked on. And um, I should know I should know this answer because I, I know that, um, so these fans use a zero to 10 volt signal to, to maintain the speed. But by using the resistors, um, and only using that 10 volt signal, you're actually able to control that speed uh, to make it to a certain maximum RPM. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they're basically they're basically faking out the signal by using the resistor to bleed it down. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys, because we've had some issues with like coils where we haven't had enough throw and we need a little bit more RPM. Do you guys have a chart? Or anything that shows what resistor you could change those RPMs on those coils. Well, is it the the thing when you got you got to get into when you get into that is you're you're got to look at the FLA and the MOP and things like that. So when you're when you're taking the resistors out, um, you're gonna you're gonna be increasing the RPM, which it's gonna be changing the electrical characteristics of the evaporator. Correct. So, I, I was talking like adding a different resistor just to give you a little bit more like a, yeah. you know is it a going from like say it's a six volts raising it to like 6.5 or seven yeah just to give you a little bit more throw in the coil I, I i think those are pretty much set for the most part that's not something we really recommend doing if you come across something like that um you can always reach out to us and we can we can dive deeper into it um but they've been designed that way from the get-go so um if there's something wrong, then we can take a look at it. Uh, but for the most part, it's not something that we that we really recommend making a change on that. Sounds good. But no, if you do have a situation where it's um, not the RPM you need or not, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of other things that can contribute to it, you know, but I, I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to take it in a case-by-case issue. Uh, let me know. I have no problem with that. And if, like I said before, if I don't know the answer, I will find someone who does. Are you the one that also deals with all the controls for all your evaporator evaporator controls and stuff as well? Um, I have one of my colleagues that does that. That's developing more on the evaporator control side things right now. Okay. Um, 
for the most part, evaporators are going out either um, on and off or zero to 10. Because if, if he's the one doing the controls for that, I'd like to have some conversations with that because there's there's some things that Kevin and I disagree with, with you know how most manufacturers turn the fans uh, off and on, whether it's in, you know, defrost or whatever how they're changing the signal and i just have questions yeah <laughs> yeah that you're getting more into the refrigeration side of it and uh that's that's where i'm a little bit more on the deep end um i know some stuff but i don't know if i'd be able to answer that the right way i understand yeah i understand um <sighs> You went. You showed. You showed me the other day. There was like some a certain percentage and stuff, which I didn't see on this slide. Where it would show you like what the humidity was and what the expected uh, expected flow would be. Oh, that's in our in our IOMs. Um, uh -huh. uh, for every uh, every unit, depending on the size, has a maximum amount of water that's used. Okay. So um, that's something that's on our website uh, for the IOMs for each unit. So, um, but yeah, every every unit, depending on size, will use X amount of water. I don't know what those numbers are off the top of my head. So I let's just say 80 degrees, the, the water, it typically is when the water comes on, correct? So from the factory, yeah. um, we, we set it up in uh, water savings mode. Okay. So um, what that means is the default settings are mm -hmm. 71 Fahrenheit, 90% mm -hmm. fan speed, 90% on, 80 off. So 71 or greater and the fans are at 90 or more, it'll use water until the fans drop below 80 or the ambient drops below 71. Okay. What's the, what's really the, the, the best way to, kind of tell if you're getting the, the proper flow. Um, you know, I, you know, like if we're checking to see if the a gas cooler or condenser is doing all that it can, right? You know, typically, you know, after 75 degree ambient, you run the fans 100% and basically find out, you know, how much higher the saturated condensing temperature is versus our ambient, right? And that'll give her, that'll give her our, our TV. Um, is there any kind of, hard numbers that you can give us or anything where basically it's like, oh, well, if you see that we're not getting this amount of flow from this part of the controller, it's typically a water, a water flow mm -hmm. issue. Well, one of the nice things about our controller is it'll tell you right on there. Okay. Um, so like if you, um, if you're not getting enough water, mm -hmm. it's going to tell you right on the controller, it can say hydraulics, not okay. Or, you know, really? something like that. And you'll get an alarm. Um, so, Typically, if you're not getting any alarms, you're going to, you're okay. Um, so also visually speaking, um, you'll see water going across the pads. Um, if you're at a startup, starting the unit up, uh, things to check for, make sure valves aren't reversed. Um, you can manually um, turn the fans on to 100% as long as the ambient temperature is over 71, mm -hmm. then you'll be able to test it. To make sure water comes on you can go into the controller and lower that 71 um you know down to like 50 something if it's a colder day out um so that you can uh get the water flowing and make sure that it's working properly um 
but generally speaking, as long as you don't see any alarms on there, you're okay. Um, make, yeah, making sure the, the valves aren't reversed, making sure. Um, one of the things too that, that that's that's nice to check is the pads, making sure the pads are nice and flat. Um, because when the water's coming down, the fans are, are running. Um, if you see the water dripping off the sides, it shouldn't. It should just be running down the pads. Um, and uh, the, what'll, what'll happen a lot of times is if the pads are offset slightly, that can cause the dripping instead of being completely flat. Also the PVC distribution lines, if you're looking at the unit um, from the end, uh, the right side should be facing up and towards. So the right side would be at um, 11 o'clock and the left side would be at one o'clock, the, the holes on the top. So it's pushing up and towards the unit. Does that make sense? No, it does. <laughs> yeah, let me see. Um, I'm just trying. To, I'm just trying to think of any more questions. I mean, I'm learning a bunch. Kev, you got any more questions? No, he pretty much answered mine with the uh, with the control setup and the fan setup stuff with LLM settings. That 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 was my big question. So, and then explaining how the water system works, I appreciate that. Didn't mean to call it the pump and dump 5,000. <laughs> hey, but you got me on the podcast, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll downgrade it to the pump and dump 1,000. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, my God. You're horrible, Kevin. <laughs> so um, the other thing is um, I, I just want to ask this. Where can they access any of the Gutner information? Because I, like, I was perusing the site, man. You know, I, I really couldn't find much much reference guide on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I can send you some stuff mm -hmm. um, where we have and and uh, we have a uh, we have a um, a database that we're that we're planning on uh, releasing where everything is going to have access to it. Mm -hmm. um, where you're going to be able to go to uh, go to our site and get more access. We're we're currently in the process of just gathering everything together, so it's going to be all at one central location. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, it's not yet on the website, but we're we're currently working on just because it's it's a lot of information that we do have, and we're just gonna centrally locate it, and uh, we're we're in the process of making sure that everything is easy to find and and easy to get to. So it's just it's a that's another project we've been working on. So it's it's almost ready. Cool. Well, man, if you don't got anything else, the only thing, the only request that I have is, is you know, uh, get your get your buddy to come on here and talk about the 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 evaporators that have the the mixed signal because you know we we've had debates on some of the stuff where some of the manufacturers will will run these things uh, down to the slowest speed as far as evaporators during defrost and that didn't really ever make sense to me because I did think that you would want. 100% airflow because then you'd have to, I think you'd have to increase the amount of, of defrost time if you would spend it real down real slow. And Yeah, when you get into defrost time, I defer to my colleagues on that stuff because that's where uh, I'll get a call and they say, hey, so how much defrost time? I'm like, Hold on, let me let me transfer you. 
I didn't hear gas cooler condenser. Next call. <laughs> no, if it's anything having to do with like programming a fan or a controller or the, you know, FLA or MLP or anything having to do with the electrical controls, I'm your guy. When you get into the uh, defrost sequence and stuff like that, that's where I I know enough to be dangerous, but I, I, I you know, that's not my forte. That's how I live my whole career. I know enough <laughs> just to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Well, William, I want to appreciate you. Like, thank you so much for coming on and explaining that and setting Kevin right that it's not the pump and dump 5000. That, you know, we actually understand fully how the, uh, you know, how the water control works. And I, you know, I, I appreciate your time. Yeah. And um, like I said, to anybody who's listening, if they're going to, if they have trouble with our, with our units, feel free to reach out. Um, we do have a lot of great resources to make sure that, uh, that the units are programmed and set up properly. Uh, because what we don't want is, you know, if someone doesn't know or just thinks that it's not operating properly and never let us know, and then it just gives us a bad reputation when it could be something that's an easy fix, you know? I mean, we try really hard to make sure that every unit leaves 100%, um, but things happen. And, you know, um, like I said earlier, with the valve thing, we, we try and improvise to get things going. And, um, you know, but it, but anything that that we hear from the field, we really take it to heart and try and make it make it right and uh, and get the best product out there possible. See, I, I wish more manufacturers were like that. You know, a lot of times, you know, things will be said and well, that's just the way it is. No, it's we've never heard of that before. That's that is the <laughs> biggest one we get all the time. Well, we never heard of that before. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, and I, I, I know things go wrong. Nothing. It, it's never perfect, especially especially these past few years have been rough with, you know, sourcing, sourcing parts and getting things out and, you know supply chain shortages all that stuff so um that's where the root of that 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 valve problem was but um you know in fixing one problem we created another one but we were able to fix it so for sure yeah um yeah so will any anything any kind of information that you can share um I, I will put up anything that he does share on the advanced refrigeration uh podcast facebook group so you guys you have access to all the stuff that he's gonna be sharing with us uh, otherwise, William, once again, I appreciate your time. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you for thank you for the invite. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a great night. Oh, you too. Have a good one.